This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nervous? Yes. First time. No, I've been nervous lots of times. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's ridiculous holiday day on this calendar Joe's mom got me. Today is apparently Dental Drill Appreciation Day, which is celebrated by legions of screaming kids everywhere just about every day. You know what else is ridiculous? According to today's guest, it's Chasing Your Passion Day. Today, we welcome a woman whose TEDx talk on this topic has had over 7 million views. Please welcome Terry Trespicio. You know, my TED Talks are pretty big, too. Every time someone walks away from me at the bar, they always say, nice TED Talk, dude. Plus, in our headline segment, what's really happening with the Great Resignation? We'll speak with Laura Troiani from research company Plan Beyond. But that's not all. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to Chris, who asks about how best to build savings. And I'll also drill down into today's trivia question. And now... Two guys who are here to clean that little bit of plaque off your portfolio. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Just a little bit over there in the corner. Get that little bit out of there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Flossing for the Win on your portfolio podcast. (laughs) That sentence started out great. That's the that the kids do. The floss. The floss, the floss right. oh boy. Or, or are we talking about OG's bathing suit? Both. It doesn't have that's, to be either that's or. That's also pretty hot. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the I Just Threw Up In My Mouth podcast. I'm Joe Salci. I have her show money <laughs> on Twitter. You made it to Wednesday. Let me be the first to welcome you to the halfway point of uh, this hill of a week. Sit back here at the rest station, relax, put your feet up, and enjoy an hour of money geekery with us. And sitting across the card table from me, the original money geek himself mr og is here the original gangster what's happening yes well you happy you made it halfway having a good week every week's a good week when i'm with you man every week's a good week well guess what we're gonna go from good to great because terry trespicio is here nice. seven million people on that ted talk 
watched her and now she's got a great book called Unfollow Your Passion. Scott Galloway talked about this recently. I know that uh, other great minds in the space talk about this well-intentioned advice of kids follow your passion. Terry says, not the case. Uh, my, my kid asked me if he, if I would be upset if he, when he was in college, was a professional video gamer. And I said, I don't care what you do when you're in school. I said, are you still going to school full time? He goes, well, like if I not went to school and was a professional video game player, I said, you can do anything you want after you do your rounds at the hospital. Like, I don't care what you do in your free time. <laughs> well, Once you get to- that is really progressive parenting. I'm impressed. Once you get done with your day working as a lawyer, you can, yeah. you can do- after all the heart surgeries that you've got to do right. every day, I don't blame you if you're going to want to turn around and play some Halo. Play Call of Duty. When all the hard engineering work is finished, yep. you're, you're, you could- all those bridges are built and those skyscrapers <laughs> have touched the sky. Do, do whatever you, you want. You want to detox with a little Call of Duty. Right. Who am I to judge? Right after you get done uh, advising the Pope on his money. You can play video games. We we do have a fantastic show because we also have a great headline uh, guest today. Lori Troiani, I talked to from Plan Beyond. Uh, in fact, let's get into that. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, now we got a fantastic headline, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Based on Monday's Peloton discussion, we happen to be getting a Peloton upgrade this week. And this is also part of their problem is they're giving away, darn near giving away the brand new ones for substantial discounts and then also uh, paying for you to return the, the old one upgrade. They're sitting on the street right now in the little Peloton van and you know they're going to bring it in the house. And based on our conversation on Monday, remember when the Peloton van delivery van would drive around the neighborhood and be like, oh, the Joneses are getting a Peloton. Now it's kind of sort of the other way. I'm like, would you hurry up and get off my lawn? I don't want <laughs> to be affiliated with you guys. Like, just I like the bike, but I don't really want my neighbors to know that I'm getting one. <laughs> well, that's, that's the tough thing. Can you around back so nobody sees? When a company has to announce bad news, man, the, the sharks and the, I told you so people, all come out yeah. of the woodwork and and the headline makes the problem worse. Yep. It's like, hurry up, hurry up, get your delivery done. Get out of my neighborhood. Today's headline uh, comes to you from just about everywhere. This thing, OG, the great resignation on uh, a lot of employers' minds, also on a lot of just our individual minds, because you see all these people You're quitting. You're thinking about resigning? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to have a talk. If we could just hit pause in the podcast here for a second. Uh, lots of things I'm hearing about the great resignation. And so are you. Number one is, uh, this idea that people don't want to work. Number two is, is that it's about, Hey, this is an opportunity to make more money. In fact, we've talked about that. Good time to ask your boss for a raise because so many people around you 
are quitting. But uh, a company called Plan Beyond did some research on this topic. And uh, Lori Troiani is one of the founders of Plan Beyond. And I spoke with her earlier. By the way, if you want to see the entire discussion between Laura and I, just head to our YouTube page. Just put Stacking Benjamins in the search engine and subscribe to our YouTube page. And you can not just watch that, but watch all of our extended interviews. But I asked Laura that question, OG. I said, hey, I'm, I'm seeing all around me this idea that people don't want to work. And uh, well, here's what, here's what she had to say when I said, I'm not, I'm not seeing any of this in your research. We're data folks. We love research. We're kind of reveling it like probably we shouldn't, but we do. And we were chatting with a lot of clients last year and we were coming across conversations that we've never really had before with folks. Folks saying, hey guys, we really want you to take this on. Normally we do some of it, but you don't have the people. Or the flip side, which is never good for us, which is, hey, we really want to move forward with this, but we just don't have the internal bandwidth right now to tackle this. You know, we started hearing these conversations with clients and we go, ooh, Huh. And obviously, you know, in parallel to this, we're hearing all the stuff about the great resignation and what's going on. And we're going, ooh, that's going to be an interesting thing for us to study. Let's let's do it. Uh, and that sort of was the, the impetus behind it. What's interesting there is that this has become quite a movement, OG, and it has very little to do with people not wanting to work. Also, and this should also scare employers, nearly half the people they surveyed, nearly half who have not quit their job say that they're considering quitting their job in the next 12 months. What does it mean if there's three of us at the table right now? How many of us are, how many of us are going to be standing? Doug's like, I checked out three years ago. <laughs> when my paycheck stopped, stopped coming, it's like, they never started. The thing I think that came out of the whole COVID situation is that people recognize that they could do work. Remember the story that we did some time ago about the person who had two full-time jobs yes, because they were working from home and they're like, screw this. I could, you know, I'm only, well, I got 40 hours that I'm working for Bill. I can work for Tommy for another 40 hours. And I still got 80 hours left to myself every, every week. And we talked about whether or not that was, you know, you should be able to do that. And, and I think that's what's for a lot of people recognizing that you don't have to be sitting at the cubicle to get the work done. And I think a lot of employers also recognize that most of the work is getting done. You know what I mean? There's certainly people who are, you know, taking advantage of the system and not doing their work. And there's certainly people who are probably doing the wrong thing and working at 10 at night on a Friday because my laptop's right there and I can just do it. And, you know, who cares, you know, with no boundaries. But if you take that and you say, well, I can do whatever I want. And then I'm working in this environment that I don't care for or the, with these people that really don't get me excited. And, you know, maybe I'll just go look and do something else or I can do like four 10-hour jobs and make the same money. It's like being a traveling nurse these days. I saw that on TikTok or Instagram. It's like, you know, they have the, the same person talking to, to each other, like they're having a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. some... I used to think that was really cool. And now it's becoming annoying in a hurry. It's super annoying. Well, anyways, it was it would, basically it was this guy conversing with the administration. He was a nurse and said, hey, you know, based on how things are going right now, can I get a pay raise? And, and the guy's like, nope, sorry, we don't have a budget for it. And he goes, all right, cool, I quit. And then... Hi, I'm a traveling nurse. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Here's three times your salary. <laughs> you know, the next thing we got into is exactly who is quitting. We're hearing a lot that it's younger people quitting. OG, let's see if that was correct. No, no. Uh, I think most folks like money. I'm going to just put that out there. We didn't study that fact, but I'm going to just make that assumption. In life. 100% of people <laughs> might like money. Give or take, maybe 99.9. <laughs> you know, there's always yeah. that 
that weirdo out there. Yeah. So, and that, that was part of the reason behind the study. Yeah. We're hearing a lot of people quitting uh, and some folks are saying, oh, it's, it's because of health. Oh, it's because they don't want to work. It's we're like, mm, really? That doesn't seem likely. And so that's really what we went to explore with the study. We said, okay, let's ask people, yeah, how likely are you to quit in the next six months? What does that look like for you? But let's also ask about a lot of on-the-job dynamics, everything from do you respect and trust your supervisor or your colleagues? Are you satisfied with professional growth? What about your compensation? What about the ability to be yourself on the job? All these different things that we know make up an entire work experience. What it showed us was, no, it's not that people are saying, I don't want to work. It's that it's a lot of these on-the-job interpersonal dynamics that are fueling people's uh, decisions to say, "Mm, maybe it's time for that two weeks notice. I want to stop right there, OG, because we hear that it's about the money. We hear that it's that, hey, if we offer more money, you and I have said, hey, this might be a great time. In your last story, you're like, hey, you know, asking your boss for a raise. Turns out that almost a quarter of people are not leaving their job because of that. They just don't feel appreciated by their job. And it seems like that's something pretty easy to fix. And by the way, number two and number three on her list also have to do with poor relationships with your manager and not feeling like you can be yourself at work. Like you got to you gotta come in and have this shield up over you. Well, and that's, I think that's kind of an overarching theme is if you don't like what you're doing and you, and you don't like who you're hanging out with all the time, this is an opportunity to kind of upgrade that. And that's what, that's what people are doing. I worked personally for two different bosses who were having workplace problems and thought they'd solve it by giving everybody raises. And so they could ignore the actual problem in the workforce, which was, it was a pretty toxic work environment. And if I just pay people more that will accept that in our, in our workday. And I think this is a gigantic no that, you know, we had Ashley Goodall on a couple of years ago. And as, as you know, OG, he and Marcus Buckingham really, and we're going to talk about this, I'm sure later with Terry Trespicio. Uh, just blew up the internet with this thing that, hey, you want workplace culture? Your culture is who you eat lunch with. It's your own little group. It's not, you know, if you've got a company the size of Ashley Goodall work for Cisco, if you've got a company the size of Cisco, y- you go to work every day. You, company culture isn't company-wide at Cisco. People sitting at this table are going to feel differently about their work than other people. And the one thing I feel like would be a much easier thing than just trying to throw money at the problem would be to train your managers. Train your middle managers to not be jerks. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, have a little empathy. You know? Like create a team environment. I remember that's the when- biggest thing. I think. I think the model of the 20th century of you know kind of that top down approach is super important in different areas, right? Like you have to have somebody who's going to make the final decision and be responsible for the final outcome and that sort of thing. But also recognizing that everybody has different unique skill sets. And if you take advantage of those things together as a group, you're going to do a heck of a lot better than saying, well, my way is the only way I know how to do it because I'm I'm the boss. I'm the manager. So therefore, we have to do it my way. Think about the cost. You know, this is a money show. So that if, if people didn't know, think about the cost of training your management team versus the cost, the huge cost of hiring a new employee. Paula Pant and I were talking about this yesterday. She is a, a new person that she's been training and she's like, it has been a solid month of me working on training this person. She's still nowhere up to speed where if she had had somebody in that role before and she had made sure that person was happy and content and liked their job. Uh, now Paula had, a, this is, this is not an indictment of Paula's workforce. This is Paula's 
creating a new position. But in a lot of cases, OG, you'll have a you'll have a, a a person quit, and now you've got a month to just train them on the basics, and then you've got another six months till they're actually working at the speed of the person that left because they didn't like their manager. Yeah. The cost of employee turnover is substantial. Lots more data in here. Men versus women. The reason older workers and younger workers are leaving. Uh, Laura and I dive into that. But I asked her at the end of the interview, what surprised her the most? You know, I think at a higher level, it's that idea of, I'm going to call it hard dynamics versus soft dynamics. Hard dynamics being compensation. Things like what kind of flexibility do you offer on the job? Do you offer hybrid, you know, hybrid work, remote, things like that. On the soft side, Again, how are you treating your folks? What are your interpersonal policies? What are some of your those soft HR policies? And what we're seeing is it's the soft things, those intangibles that matter. The hard things, compensation, flexibility, that's really not what's driving folks to think about staying. And so if you're you know, a manager, a leader in a workplace, and you're going, gosh, how do I really stave the tie here of folks leaving? What's it going to take? You got to take a real good hard look at your workplace and how you're treating your people. It's how you treat your people. I think that's a great place to leave that interview. Thanks to Laura for hanging out with us. And um, we'll, as I mentioned, have the full extended interview if you want to hear even more about the great resignation on our, on our YouTube page. Coming up next, Terry Trispicio had a fantastic TED Talk. Uh, over 7 million people have watched it on this idea that following your passion might not be what we should be doing. She has followed it up with a book to dive even deeper into that topic about where do we start if we're not following our passion? What are we following? How do we make all this work meaningful and actually get where we want to go? That's coming up next. But Doug, I think you've got, uh, got a little trivia for us, my friend. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And with Terry Trespicio coming on, I can't believe that today is National Dentist Drill Appreciation Day. I mean, wow, what's next? Excruciating bunion celebration day or my car got impounded day? Maybe I just overdrafted at my bank day? You know, I'll tell you one thing. Terry talks about unfollowing your passion. How about we just unfollow this holiday? Well, on a happier note, It's comedian Ellen DeGeneres' birthday today. We want to point out to Ellen that contrary to all of this dust up in the press, we don't think she's mean. In fact, we absolutely adored her as Dory in Finding Nemo. But if you think Ellen has a reputation for being mean, how about the person who sent Ellen and company an angry letter because the pelicans in Finding Nemo were American pelicans instead of the more authentic Australian pelicans. What? Like, we don't have pelicans in America? There's a solid reason to one-star a movie if I ever heard one. Speaking of pelicans, how about this trivia question? If you're looking for American pelicans who play basketball for big stacks of Benjamins, what city are you more likely to find them in than any other city in the USA? I'll be back after I go schedule my dental exam. Hey, Staggers, it's Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. 
uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org. Dot org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. Hey there, stackers. I'm Zero Cavity Patient and Nature Lover, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today's Ellen DeGeneres' birthday, and to celebrate, I was thinking about either ignoring or randomly getting upset at my colleagues. What do you think? Nah, instead, with a nice person like Terry Trespicio here, I took the high road and decided to bring you some Finding Nemo-inspired trivia. You know, the pelicans in that movie may not have been from the city, but it's important to today's trivia answer. If you're a pelican in the USA and you love basketball, in what city are you most likely found? Well, formerly known as the Charlotte Hornets, when the team uh, migrated to New Orleans, they changed their name to the New Orleans Pelicans. Got it right? Of course you did. Reward yourself by trying out for the team. I'm sure you'll play more than their always injured star power forward. Or better yet, reward yourself by checking out this next interview with Terry Trespicio. And here she comes down the stairs to the basement. Terry is finally here. How are you? Hello. It's it's a little musty down here, but I guess it'll do. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, media tour. It, it could be worse, I suppose. <laughs> or can it get worse? I don't, well, you know, you were on the Today Show, which I'm sure was just a step below coming down to mom's basement. <laughs> it was a moment. <laughs> a little step below. You, you know, I was reading the preface of your book. And I often do that because it kind of gives me an idea of what's on an author's mind and kind of where they're coming from. And I get the spirit of the book. And I got this feeling, you didn't write these words, Terry, but I got this feeling that kind of like me and like a lot of people that are in our stacker community, you might be a little bit of an overthinker, like in college and feeling like there's all this pressure on you to do well out of college. Would you say that's true? Oh yeah. I'm also, if for people who are into this, I'm first born. So I've got like all the anxieties, expectation of being the number one, the best, the A student that also was raised Catholic. I've got everything, all of that laying right here. Yeah. On my shoulders. And, and it does, it does us some good, but it also weighs us down. So you, you begin in the preface, this story of you feel all of this existential angst out of college and you're really not sure. And you you're in the car and you're breaking down with your dad and your dad's telling you it's going to be okay. Like you'll, you'll figure it out. And I think it's your mom who gave you some really good advice. 
She did. Well, she tried to keep giving it to me. And I kept being like, mom, you don't understand because, you know, I was 21 and I didn't know anything, but I figured neither did she. She kept saying just, I think, cause I was temping and I, I just didn't, I didn't belong anywhere yet. And I didn't know where I belonged. And I feel like I'd hit the end of the road right out of college. I was like, well, that was it. That was fun. I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And she said, please take a job, take any job. Cause I kept seeing jobs come up and I would go, no, I can't do that. Cause you know, and I said, mom, it's for like a media buyer. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I don't know what that is. And, and if I take the job as a media buyer, I'll always be a media buyer. And she's like, no, that's not how it works. And she's like, you just take a job and you, you figure it out as you go. She says, you don't figure out your life first and then live it. You will learn it by living it. Also, please get a job. So. <laughs> Do you espouse that? Do you espouse that advice? Do you think mom was right? Changed my life. She gave me life and then she changed my life. Of course, she was the one who's wise. I give a lot of credit to all this thinking to her because she realized she was dealing with a very neurotic, fixed mindset kid who just thought, ah, and she's like, well, you want to be a writer? I said, the world has enough writers. They don't need any more writers. No one would want me. I have no experience. She's like, you've never had a job. That's why I get a damn job. So she was right there. She was right. I got a job as an executive assistant at a management consulting firm. I knew nothing about any of it, but the point was have a place to get up and shower and go there and have people expecting you to be there. And that job is, it's not that that job was like a blow you away job, but it got the wheels turning. It got me moving. Yeah. man. I, and I feel like, and as I was reading this, I strongly look back on my own life. And I think that some of those crappy jobs I had early on, just, I built radiation walls for a cyclotron and just some of these rotten jobs really help you kind of see the world through a, a bunch of different lenses. Imagine if you didn't have any of those jobs. I had lots of weird jobs too. I did a lot of side hustling before that was even a word. And we learned what it meant. I used to, listen, I'd like to say I was one of the first people to introduce Febreze to the world. <laughs> I, was, I was a promotional model, stood in CVS with a couple bottles of Febreze and some smoke-treated fabrics. I would say to people as they came in, hey, smell this, now smell this. What is that? Well, it's Febreze. And I learned what happened. Well, see, it lifts out all of the... I was doing in-person commercials for Febreze when no one knew what that was. And yeah, I was getting paid you know, to do that. But I also saw what it took for someone to stop walking and to listen to you and how to change the message based on who you were talking to. I was teaching myself sales without knowing it. Was that what your comment about this being musty down here is really about? Like we need Febreze? Maybe. In very sense, yes. You could just say it straightforward, Terry. I know you're a straightforward person, but you could have just said it. Just hey, Febreze. There's a box in the mail on its way to you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) one word. Well, you, by the time you're graduating from college, you had swallowed a lot. And this idea of swallowing things comes from a wonderful story you tell about this person your mom thinks is a friend of yours, may or may not be, named Leah Pompeo. Is that how you pronounce her not name? Not really. That's not her real name. That's a, no. <laughs> I had to change it. To protect the guilty? Yes. Yes. So, but tell us about Leah. God, she was just this little girl down the block. And because it was safe for me to walk there, it was like, go play with her. And I was like, I don't want to. But my mom was always trying to get me to go out of the house because I didn't want to. So I went down there and played with her. And I would play with her once in a while, you know. And she was a bit of a bully. She was kind of brash. And and one day a button came off the bedspread uh, and it looked like a little red button. And she held it out to me and she said, eat it. And I said, uh, can you eat that? And she said, of course you can eat it. And I was like, really? I was like seven, you know, it's edible. She's like, yeah, you can eat it. It's like candy. 
I knew, I knew this was not candy, but I told myself it was because I was very persuadable, I guess. I was like, okay. And I remembered the feeling of biting down on that button and knowing I'd been taken for a fool, but that I kind of had to go through with it. And look, it wasn't traumatic, though I never forgot it. So to some degree, it left its impression. Sure. But after that, I, I don't believe I played with her again. Yeah, but you ran home and you said, hey, she made me do this stuff. And your mom says, listen, nobody really makes you do it. They don't own you. Like there's Well, this- I said, I got, I escaped. I said, mom, yes, she said, yeah. what's wrong? I said, I escaped from the house. She said, what do you mean escaped? She said, they can't keep you, you know, they don't own you. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's because you kind of own me. And she's like, I don't own you either. And that was a really critical moment of understanding what it means to be self-possessed. She's like, I'm your mother, but I do not own you. You do not belong to me. And I thought that was, obviously, this is many years ago. I remember that. I thought being owned by someone meant I was safe. Thanks, patriarchy. Like, that's what we learned from that. You don't have to be owned to be safe. I'm not a serf, you know? So. That was an important lesson too. And I just had to decide I wasn't going to hang out with her anymore. But here's the feeling. I felt guilty after that because I thought I knew it wasn't food and I swallowed it. I felt ashamed that I did what I was told, even though I had done what I was told by someone who was clearly had more power over me. And then I, it, obviously I thought about a lot when writing the book, because I wrote about that story and I thought to myself, why am I writing that story? Well, what other times have I felt that way and realized, oh my God, isn't that a lot of what happens when you grow up? Well, a woman who's Catholic for one, but a person that there's lots of things that we swallow about our culture that we might not realize we have and we've metabolized it. So it seems like part of us. Well, you say not even your culture. I mean, you talk about a romantic relationship that somebody else wanted more than you did. I think about a relative of mine who, who, uh, man, we convinced him, Terry, to have this girlfriend and it turned out this was the worst relationship. And then we couldn't, we couldn't go back to him and tell him we were wrong. And then I remember later on him saying, why didn't you tell me earlier? Like, why didn't you help me get out of this? But somebody else clearly wanted it more than he did. And then he stuck with it because he thought that everybody else, Hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. That's the worst reason to be in a relationship is because you think someone else thinks you should be in it. Yes. No, you talk about an industry, a job, a major, a marriage, a whole house, an apartment, a product you don't want, need, or enjoy. Like we're swallowing stuff all the time that we really haven't considered. And some of it, it's just a wash and we don't consider it. But the real challenge is how are some of the things we swallowed affecting decisions that we don't, we realize that we don't have to be you know, indebted to these things, you know, like part of it is, and I hear this from a lot of people, since I've been talking about this stuff, with a lot of people, they say, well, I don't want to disappoint someone. I don't want to fall below expectations. And it's like, if you do what you want with your life, you're going to disappoint some people. If you're not okay with that, then you should be okay then with not living your own life. Period. The end. Well, and that's the, that's the hard part for all of us, right? I think we kind of crave that acceptance. But there's other ways to be accepted and loved than to meet others' expectations. As someone else pointed out to me recently, meeting someone's expectations means they're satisfied. It's not even blowing someone away when you meet their expectations. It's not enough of a reward to plague us the way it does. Your take from there, from the stuff that we've swallowed, the first thing I think then is these are what I would think are comfort zone decisions. So I have to get out of my comfort zone. And so after you tell me I've swallowed the stuff I shouldn't have swallowed, then you go, no, 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 no. This comfort zone thinking, this is this is also not correct. Yeah. This is the thing that people get like, whoa, 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 wait, what now? Huh? Like, everyone's telling me to be uncomfortable. It's like, guess what? You were born uncomfortable. You were born 
wet, naked, and screaming your head off. And it was not comfortable from day one. So the idea that we should be continually seeking to get outside of our comfort zones presumes that we're just sort of comfy all the time. And we're not. I look at it just differently. I guess, of course, we're all going to be uncomfortable. Of course, we can't avoid discomfort. But discomfort is not the goal. Everyone's comfort zone looks different. My goal is to, for me personally, is to continue to expand the comfort zone so I can fit more things in it, not keep leaving so I can be out shivering outside looking for the keys. To me, that's not the goal. For instance, a guy said, well, I think I like being uncomfortable because I like ice baths and, you know, I like it even better than my sauna. And I was like, okay, why do you like an ice bath? And he said, well, because it makes me feel sharper, it gives me energy, and the shower feels so good after. I said, okay, the ice bath is a way of enhancing your own comfort zone. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, but no one likes being cold like that. And I said, if you did that ice bath and afterwards were cranky, miserable, gained weight, and couldn't sleep well, you probably stopped doing the ice Shouldn't bath. Shouldn't do it. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Expanding the comfort zone, I found was this huge aha for me because of exactly what you said that so many people are talking about, hey, get out of your comfort zone, get out of your comfort zone. And you talk about expanding your comfort zone. I want to ask you specifically about your comfort zone because you do a bunch of stuff that it would make a bunch of people uncomfortable. And by the oh, way, sure. I'm, I'm going to play. Well, I, did, I didn't mean that the way it sounded. That sounded, <laughs> that sounded bad, did it? Terry, you make people uncomfortable all the time. Just, I don't know if everybody's told you that. No, but you did, you did a very famous Ted talk on this very topic that we're talking about, which mm -hmm. is changing the game and unfollowing your passion. I'm going to play the first minute of you on stage in Kansas city. But I also want people to hear, because you breathe into the microphone at the at the start, and it does not sound like you're comfortable. So I want people to pay particular attention <laughs> to, this, to this first breath. But hold on. Seven million people have seen this. So you may have seen this. But this is Terry on stage talking about searching for your passion and to stop doing it. The day I got laid off from my job at Martha Stewart, I was relieved. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the job, I really did, but the relationship was over and I didn't know how to end it, and then it broke up with me. <laughs> Did you love when that happens? At the time, I'd been also hosting a radio show for the Martha Stewart brand on SiriusXM, and then not long after, that got canceled too. On the day of my last show, I got onto the elevator at the 36th floor, and as it started to drop, I started to cry. I'm going to leave it there, and people will link to it in the show notes, and people can hear the rest. But it clearly doesn't sound like you're in your comfort zone at the beginning. I heard that. Oh, my God, no. No, I was so excited and nervous. Realized I didn't have a prompter. I didn't use slides. I had that thing memorized word for word. And I knew it. But I also knew that I was like, this is a big moment. Like, you cannot mess this up. You know what I mean? So I was definitely out of my comfort zone. But realized I also was already a public speaker and wanted to do more public speaking. And I knew the stakes were incredibly high. Realized comfort zone and relaxed are not necessarily the same. I was a thousand percent adrenaline at that moment. And it was exciting. And when I walked off the stage, I just, I felt really amazing. And I was like, wow, even if no one else sees that, that was a, what an experience. Well, and almost like the ice bath, not to cut you off, but like the guy's ice bath yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. You're not thinking about that first moment. You're thinking about, hey, I'm going to do a TED talk and that's pretty badass. It's badass. That week, which you wouldn't know this, no one knows this, 
two days before I had just taken a stand-up comedy class, my first, and we had just had our first show, which we do at an actual comedy club, a Gotham comedy club. I had done my very first five-minute stand-up set two days prior, and I had to have that memorized too. The same week of my first stand-up was the TED Talk. It was a very stressful week, but I knew both those things were things I wanted to be more comfortable doing. And so I could stomach the discomfort because I prepared, I made sure I had enough sleep, did all the things to take care of myself. And then after that, I knew I could do more of those things. And I did, went on to do comedy for a couple of years. And also what in that TED Talk obviously was a huge push behind my speaking career. I got invited to do talks, I still am. So I did it because I knew I wanted to be better up there, but it doesn't mean I'm like, chill, man, totally easygoing, because that is not me either. My comfort zone is a little bit on the thrill side, knowing I can take a nap later. Well, and what's interesting, and I want to go to the heart of the TED Talk, you're crying on the elevator on the way down. You, I think then, retreat to this apartment that you had that you say is your was your comfort zone, right? I mean, you retreated to this place where you felt very comfortable so that you could regroup. I mean, crying on the elevator is horrible, but when you've got this place that you love that's comfortable, like seeking that out, I find as I'm reading your book is a super important thing. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> when I got laid off from my job, I went back to my apartment, which was 300 square feet in on the Upper West Side, tiny little place, a little womb where I lived for 10 years with a sink the size of my hand. Isn't it that Mike Birbiglia joke where he's like, it was a huge apartment. I, I had room for a pencil and a bottle of water or yeah. something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's it. The New York's idea of large, it's like airplane size, right. everything's super tiny. But I was there for 10 years. I was very comfortable. But here's your point. One day I was like, okay, it's enough. It's time for a bigger apartment. And it wasn't that I was like leaving my comfort zone. I was. This new apartment costs a lot more. But I said, I want to find more room to be comfortable in. And I got a bigger place. So we're forever rejiggering what that comfort zone even is. And for some people, it is thrill. Some people love to go camping. Their comfort zone is, oh, I love to wake up in the woods. Uh, no, not my comfort zone necessarily. <laughs> and cut. Yeah. But that's not, hey, you should be tough like me and live in the woods and sleep out uh, under the stars. No, that's your comfort zone. Mine is mine. You know, so that's a difference. I got new flannel sheets. That is my new comfort jam. Uh, but yes, I think we can define it for ourselves. And by the way, you have points when it comes to your comfort zone. You say define it first. Second, be unapologetic about it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not apologizing. This comes with age, too. We we defend a lot less as we get older. We're like, yep, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah, I don't care if you like the sweater or not. I'm wearing it, right? right. Uh, process. Process in the comfort zone? Yes. When you go to do something like something scary, and for me, those two things and being out in front of people was took a lot of energy and was a very uh, rattling experience. Make sure that when you do something that is uncomfortable for you, that you have a place to return to so that you can sort of regroup. I need like eight hours of alone time to every one hour with another human. I, I have that ratio, right? So do you. So we need to recharge. So you just make sure you're doing that too. Next is lean into what you're good at. Clearly public speaking in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I wasn't trying to prove that I could do something I hated. Prevent hunger, nausea, and exhaustion. I come armed with every prescription you need. I have a surgery grade anti-nausea pill with me at every moment in case it strikes. I can't imagine. And then last, make your zone invite only. I really like this one. Uh, I am really picky about who I let in, as we all should. 
there are certain people that you may have to hang out with uh, family and certain friends, but you don't have to let them all the way in. You know, you don't have to let them into your comfort zone where you're dealing with their advice that you don't want. I keep, maybe they're invisible boundaries. Some people think they're on the inner loop, but they're not. Uh, but I make sure I keep that very selective. You have a great discussion about this, about somebody who kind of goes the opposite. Really, in, in my view, it's kind of like a, a fish swimming against the current. Uh, your friend, Laura Belgray, <laughs> who who was consistently doing work that didn't inform her. It wasn't great for her. So she kept charging more and more money. And she, she tried to price people out, which is a thing about, since we're talking about money. She thought, if I charge so much, then everyone will leave me alone. She couldn't get people to stop coming to her. I'm talking a lot an hour. And she's like, good, no one will hire me anymore. Project done. People still found a way. And finally, she just had to turn away clients and say, I'm not going to work with clients anymore. Now, that is a very lucky position. Not lucky, but she worked hard to get there. Yeah. Isn't it funny when we think, well, if we raise our prices, no one will hire us? Ask Laura that. I take what your journey looks like, and I hear this story about Laura, and you're talking about comfort zone. So now let's go to the heart of this about unfollowing your passion. It sounds like you have a passion in public speaking. And so when public speaking comes up, you're following that passion. Well, I like to speak and yeah, but I also like to write and I like to lead groups and I like to do client work. I do lots of different stuff. Yes, I find passion in everything that I do. I don't and never have said, what's my one thing that's going to guide me? Because speaking isn't the only thing I do. It's sort of a really great privilege when I have the chance to do that. It's wonderful. But the idea that you need to pick one, that there's one passion per person is the problem. It's like saying, I'm going to create this key. And it's going to be my perfect key. Look, it just looks just like me. Now let me go out and see if I can find any locks that'll open. Good luck. But it's a perfect key. No, it's not. Find all the locks you want and pour yourself into the shape that opens them. That's what I did based on what I felt like doing. I want to do more speaking. I do more speaking. I want to do more of this work. I find ways to do that work. The work is elastic and flexible and so are we. But this industrial age hangover we have that we're one kind of product and we sit on the shelf and have to price a certain way limits our growth. And then we go back to really, I think the beginning of our time together today and your mom's advice to live first. And then that creates these opportunities and you kind of figure it out. Yeah. It's not like you have to wing it, but you do have to take stock of what you're really good at, what you genuinely love and hate doing. And don't try to get better at the things you hate. Find ways to pay for the life that you want and it doesn't have to be, well, my tax status has to be freelance or, oh, I failed. Now I'm going to go work for someone. Stop it with this win-lose situation. It's got to be, how can I create a life that I can actually enjoy? Like you had uh, when you talked to Ramit, talking about what does a rich life look like to you? It yeah. can look lots of different ways. It's not just about how much stuff costs. I look at work that way from a skill and talent perspective. It doesn't matter what your resume says. You can find new ways to find meaning in the work you do. Boy, we talked, speaking of the work that you do and finding meaning there, we had a great interview a couple of years ago with a gentleman who you know, uh, Ashley Goodall. You actually oh. have talked to Marcus Buckingham, his uh, co-author. I haven't, oh, you haven't worshipped their work. It was a phenomenal interview with them, but you talk in your book about Marcus Buckingham and about how they rocked the Harvard Business Review back in 2019 with their work. And it goes along with what you're saying. And if you don't mind... Talk about this idea that really, instead of trying to be something to everybody else and instead of criticizing each other, because I thought this was a really powerful piece of your third chapter. 
Yes, they found in that piece called the feedback fallacy that, you know, when we think we're trying to help each other by giving each other advice, like fix this, do this better. Like it actually isn't great. It doesn't help. And Buckingham and Goodall say, you know, people don't need feedback. They need attention to what they do best. And that is key. But how often does that happen? Not a lot. What it means is comfortable can mean being in a place that feels secure with people who support your work and making sure that you're forever leaning into what you can do and being shown what's possible, not being shown what to fix. Because he says, he points it out in the work that being comfortable is where we find courage. It's where we thrive. It's where we can focus. And so in the work that I do, because I run lots of different groups where I use writing to help people clarify their ideas and get to the heart of their work. And we do it with a specific method called the gateless method, which I did not invent, but I am certified in it, where we do exactly that. So when I read Marcus Buckingham's work, I said, this gives even more thread to the work we're already doing, which is don't criticize, don't question reflect back, listen, support people when they're starting their ideas so that they can actually do more of that. Because if I only tell you what's wrong, you'll only see flaws. Right. And it's so much more fun. It's so much more fun when we're all working on stuff that we, we know what we're good at and we're focusing on our, yes. uh, we're focusing on our talents. I mean, how great is a life where you're focusing on your talents? And by the way, I think then to your point from chapter two, I think that helps you create more of a comfort zone, right? I, I mean, if you're a boss, that this makes work somebody's comfort zone. And how many times you talk about working in some of these toxic work environments, man, if you can make work comfortable and a workplace comfortable for the people around you, how great your team going to be? And not even coddling, not that, but comfortable because I mean, Joe, why is everybody leaving their jobs? There's a lot of reasons why people are leaving jobs, but they're not comfortable there anymore. And I don't mean comfort like, I want better padded seats. It's more like, do your people feel seen? Do they know what they should do more of? I had a friend who had a really great job as a creative director. She left this job with no other job in place. She was fed up because the manager only pointed out what she didn't like. She never said to my friend, here's what's working. I love this. I need more of this. And my friend said, I don't know what to do. She's just telling me what's wrong. I can't do it. She left the job because of it. Can you afford to lose people because you don't want to pay attention to what's working? Seems like an easy thing to do. Oh yeah, the cost. You've seen the cost of that. The cost of training a new person versus holding on to the valuable employee you already have. Like that is just, it's a nightmare scenario. Yeah. You know, so you have been talking about unfollowing your passion for quite a while, but I also know that when you're diving into an actual project like this book, you're, you find some things that even surprise you. You find a depth in an area that you didn't expect it. What was something that surprised you while you were writing on Follow Your Passion? Well, Joey, I tell you, the book title was not finalized until like very close to submitting the manuscript. Really? And when I originally submitted this book to the publisher, like when my agent submitted it and said, hey, do you want to buy this book? It wasn't anything like this. It wasn't calling back to the TED Talk. I originally had a collection of essays called How to Swallow a Button. And it was going to be kind of an ironic, like a take, same thread, same guts. But I, we took it to the publisher, and Atria is the publisher now. And they said, yeah, yeah, that's great and all. But, you know, we got this like TED Talk that like basically is the only thing anyone ever paid attention to. So you got to <laughs> link it to that. So I'm very <laughs> transparent about that because it sounds like I gave a TED Talk and I worked on a book about this. And it didn't happen that way. I did the TED Talk. I go, that was fun. Let's just explore new stuff. And I wrote new stuff. Then when it was time to submit the manuscript to the publisher, I was like, how do we connect these ideas? And when I looked at the work, I realized it was connected. So the discovery for me was that what I started in 2015 had evolved 
but I didn't know that until I was writing it. And I say this to you because I think we tend to think you have to know what you're going to write about and then write it. And I discovered it as I wrote and refined the book. And because the publisher said, hey, how about we call it something to do with your passion? I mean, this is, what is a publisher? It's a client you're working with. That's it. So you got to make that work. And also they said, this is what people need. Give the people what they need. And they aren't clamoring for a collection of essays by you yet. Yet. I may say that. Um, (laughs) But for now, but for now it had to be the thing that worked. So how I got over my little ego of being like, oh, they want me to do a different book was what do people really need? I gave that talk as a 10 minute talk. There's a lot more to say. And I finally got the chance to say it. Oh, that's so exciting. And I love the learning process that I can just hear in your voice as you're working on the project. It's called Unfollow Your Passion. I'm assuming it's available everywhere. Everywhere, yes, indeed. Or at unfollowyourpassion.com. I'm no dummy. I bought that domain <laughs> real quick. Wow. I'm surprised. How did you? That's an esoteric name for a domain. Yeah, right. Well, try spelling Trispecio. Most people have no idea. So I was like, let's just get real words that people can spell. Yeah, uh, no. Between your last name and mine, I don't know who's. <laughs> I know. Is. I know. You, you always know who a telemarketer is, though, don't you, Terry? Oh yes, yes. Every <laughs> every time they're like Terry. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and by the way, well, we've got you covered. If you're walking the dog or you're on your commute, for those of you that still commute, we'll have a link to unfollow your passion on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com and in the two hundred one uh, stackybenjamins.com slash two hundred one. Okay, last question. Are you about to ambush me now? Well, well, I thought I was, but you already brought it up. Oh, wow. I was going to ask you because as I was doing research, I saw you on stage doing comedy and I was like, talk about outside of your comfort zone. But clearly once again, you like, and you want to be a good public speaker and comedy I know is so hard. I wanted you to tell me about that experience. Cause I got to yeah. imagine getting on stage to do five minutes as a beginning comedian is, is horrifying. It is, but realize for most people who try out comedy, they're in their 20s. They haven't learned maybe to be on stage or to write or do any of those things yet. By the time I stepped onto the Gotham Comedy Club stage, I had already been a speaker. I'd already been a writer. I had to learn how to apply those skills here. And there's a real metric to it. Laughs every 20 seconds. You have five minutes. Do the math. Write them to make sure you hit. Memorize it. Be able to do it over and over and over again. So it's kind of like- So wait a minute. So this mm -hmm. is as much, even though you're performing stand-up, being a comedian, what you're saying is far more about writing behind the scenes than it is that five minutes. A thousand percent. Even if you write it in your head and you say, I don't write, you're writing. And actually I I studied with, uh, with a comedian. I wrote about Jim David. And he said, do you think you need a special personality to be a comic? You need to learn how to write a joke. Set it up, knock it down learn how to do that. And that means that anyone can learn to be a stand-up comic. Are you willing to hang in there to learn that skill long enough? You could also learn to rewire your house if you want. It's just another skill. And so that helped me realize, okay, I don't have to pretend I'm being some other celebrity. Not at all. And it really did up my game on stage. Because when you faced a crowd of people at night who don't care about your resume, don't care about you at all, and you make them laugh a few times, Speaking for 40 minutes in front of a corporate crowd at 8 a.m., easy, easy, easy. They'll laugh at anything. My God, they're so thrilled if you give them one laugh in 40 minutes. Hey, Nick Loper here from the Side Hustle Show. When I'm not helping people earn money outside of their day job, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Terry. Oh, gee, I think this is right. I think that if you ever want anything, there's some sweat that goes into it. Like there's never been anything that was really valuable to me 
that I didn't sweat over, that I didn't have to swim a moat to get to, that I didn't have to do some heavy lifting before I really found that passion. This well-intentioned advice that we're telling people, follow your passion, I think is putting some people on this, this guardrails. Well, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. You know, if it doesn't, ah, I don't know, this, this seems a little hard. I'm not sure that I'm passionate about this. But you and I both endured for our financial planning professions. Got to work hard a long time. A hellish first few years to get to some fantastic years later on. Well, and it's just like, it's any anything that you're working on, whether it's your personal finance, which is what we spend a lot of time talking about, or health or fitness or anything like that. It's like, how many of us have started new exercise regimens the last uh, 26 days and uh, gone, I just don't feel like I'm, you know, I'm not worked out, I haven't lost a lot of weight. It's like, because it takes a long time. You know, it took you 30 years to put those 30 pounds on since high school. It's going to take some amount of time to come off. It doesn't come off in 30 days. And if your money is fouled up or something like that, you know, you didn't do it in 30 days, probably. It took a long time to screw it up. So it's going to take some time to undo it. Yeah, no matter what it is, you got to build that Enjoy foundation. Enjoy the ride. Absolutely. you got to build that foundation. And I think about, speaking of foundations, you know, some of the bad jobs, and she and I obviously talked about this, but some of the bad jobs that we had kind of inform who you are today. Like, I know what I don't want specifically because of the fact that I worked it. Right. Because yep. I was there. I think there's value in that work. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first. Flavored popcorn. Oh, you know what? I don't like the flavored popcorn. Give me popcorn flavored popcorn. Oh, man. You you mix the cheese and the caramel together. That'll change your life. One star. <sighs> and actually, I shouldn't say one star, probably three stars, because once I get started on the flavored popcorn, I'm like, okay, and I will devour that whole thing. Like uh, uh, one of our friends, Pam Andrews, the scholarship shark, who has run our scholarship program here, you know, they just got one of those big popcorn tins with the three different flavors in it, you know, the little separator. She said, how long you think this is going to last? I said, in my house, about 18 minutes. Yeah, you just pull the separator right out of the top and let them all mix together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Separators are for wimps. Come on. Amateurs. Yeah. Love that. Uh it's your loved ones and your time, but who doesn't like loved ones, time, and popcorn? That's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com slash havenlife now for a free quote. It's a simple online application. You're going to get an instant coverage decision. So you get this done today. No waiting several weeks. Lovely customer support. And of course, they're backed by a financial company that's been around for a long, long time, Mass Mutual. Today, we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our friend, Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hello, Joe and OG. This is Chris. So I was thinking of a plan. I recently put 10000 of my emergency fund money in the I-bond treasury. I have 5000 on hand at Discovery, earning 0.4% interest. I want to save about 30000 or more for a house. I want it to cover 5% down. Closing costs, 1% to 2% on repairs or remodels of the house, if necessary, and to furnish the place. Okay, my question, after opening the I-bond and seeing how gross the savings account interest is, I was thinking opening up a Vanguard Total Bond Index Emerald Fund. It's 3000 to open, but I can deposit 500 every two weeks from my checkings till I have enough for the house down payment. Now, how can my brilliant plan go wrong? What am I missing? What risk Am I missing that I'm not seeing? Thank you, guys. And hopefully someone learned something. 
<laughs> Thanks for the question, Chris. Adding this third tier, adding a, a bond fund to his mix. Uh, what do you think about that idea, OG, for the short-term goal? Yeah. So this is tempting because you go like, I'm not getting any money in my savings account and I'm getting you know some money in this treasury bond. So why wouldn't I just buy more bonds? Depending on the time frame, it could work out just fine or it could work out kind of crappy. So the thing about fixed income is everybody thinks that it's a short-term investment, but it's really quite dependent on what's going on with interest rates and the length of the the lending that's going on inside of the bond. Bonds are basically a promise to pay back a loan with interest over a period of time. So unlike when you go to buy your mortgage or get your mortgage, they, the bank makes you pay interest and principal at the same time. A bond from a company is a lot different. A bond from a company, you just pay interest the whole time, and then you pay the principal back at the back end. So imagine if that was your mortgage, right? You borrow 400000 all you do is pay interest for 29 years and 11 months. And at the end of the 30th year, you've got to pay the principal back, right? Banks don't do that because they don't trust consumers, but they do trust other companies. So uh, bond funds then put a whole bunch of those loans together and make a product out of it called a bond fund. The thing that you have to be aware of is what the, what we called the duration of that. So how long how long is that loan for? On average, most bond funds average loan length is somewhere between seven and 10 years. So that's one piece of information. The other piece of information is, is that interest rates right now we know are super low, right? We'd hear all day, every day about interest rates being next to zero. So how could that be? How could that be bad? Well, interest rates and return on bonds are inversely correlated. So as interest rates go down, the bonds go up in value. And that would make sense. If you own a loan to somebody at 6%, and now the interest rates are 5%, you've got a better valuable cash flow, right? So that should be worth more if you go to sell it. The exact opposite is my concern. Interest rates really low. What happens if they go up? Well, then the bond prices go down. And your nice and safe, secure fixed income account for your house down payment might lose money over a short period of time. And then the factor in which it loses money is that loan length. So if the average loan length is, let's say, seven years, and interest rates go up 1%, you're going to lose 7% of your value. And since interest rates are really low right now, I'm concerned that a short-term time horizon, like I want to buy a house in a few years, you could kind of be on the wrong side of that. But you might not be. So it's kind of a risk, but I don't know that it's worth it if... The, the interest that you're getting on the bond fund is 1.8 and you're getting you know 0.4 in your savings account. Is it worth the extra $300 that you'll accumulate over the next several years to not have to save 300 bucks versus potentially losing 2000 That's kind of the trade-off. Yeah. There's something called, what they call this in financial planning, the jargon that you'll hear is risk premium, right? Is the risk premium worth it? And I love that point, which is why, OG, we generally stick with, for short-term goals, we stick with stuff that's a guaranteed flatline rate of return, which means it's probably going to suck, which is why I think his move into the treasury I-bond was a good move. Yeah. I mean, it's sadly, you can only do 10000 a year, so you know it is what it is. 
but even that comes with some restrictions, right? You can't touch it for 12 months. 12 months, So yeah. there's, there's, there's a little bit of a trade-off there. And after that, you lose some interest for the first five years. So there's, there's a little bit of a giving a gotcha to that as well. Now, if you have some flexibility in your time horizon, if you're like, I don't really care if I buy the house in three years or five years, you know, if the market's crappy, you know, so what? Uh, then fine, take the risk and see if you make a few extra bucks doing it. But recognize 1% on $30,000 is 300 bucks. Which is nothing to sneeze at, but 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 that versus the risk. It's nothing to sneeze at, but if you go to the bank and you're like, hey, I was going to get my mortgage today, but uh, sadly, I only have 29700 you know what I mean? The bank's not going to say like, oh, sorry, you're 300 off, you know, and P.S., you could probably come up with an extra 300 tomorrow if you had to. You know what I mean? Generally, especially, I mean, if you're saving 500 a month, that's just like one. Yeah, just, agreed. If he's saving 500 a month, I mean, there was a time in both our lives we couldn't do that. But but if he's saving 500 a month, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it sucks to have money sitting in cash. But the reason that you have money sitting in cash is so that you can have all of the rest of your money elsewhere. That's the trade-off that you're trying to make. Thanks for the question, Chris. If you've got a question for us, stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail gets you there. And we are sending Chris some Stacking Benjamins swag uh, for being brave and, and doing that. Gertrude's uh, got you covered, Chris. All right. That's going to do it for today. We've got a great contest running over at the 201, our newsletter, Deep Dives. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash 201. You can win either a subscription to Tiller, uh, a great budgeting spreadsheet for people that use spreadsheets and want those automated. That's a great opportunity for you. We're giving away a Sona speaker, giving away five of our favorite game that our friend uh, Shane created, uh, our favorite financial game called uh, Franklin's Fortunes. Uh, we're going to give away those. So stackybudgements.com slash 201. Also going around the country uh, starting March 1st. So start signing up for those. we got event brights going up all the time for new cities stackybedjamins.com slash stacked for that one. And last, if you're somebody that just, you know what, forget about all this. I just need to make better decisions. I need to think bigger. I need to get my financial house in order. OG and his team taking clients head to stackybedjamins.com slash OG. And that's the link to their calendar. And you can get rolling on your Stacky Benjamins journey. That is it for today. Mr. Doug, what should we have learned today? Well, Joe, I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from Terry Trespicio. Worried that you won't find your passion in life? Well, don't. Just get moving. The passion is made from success, not the other way around. Live your life and the passion follows. Second, the big resignation? Maybe it's time for you to make your move. But the big lesson? If you thought Ellen DeGeneres could be mean, you have not been around Joe's mom when there's no coffee. Run for your lives, people. Big thanks to Terry Trespicio for joining us today. You'll find Terry's book, Unfollow Your Passion, wherever you go to follow your reading passion. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Saul Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. 
Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Did you know that most people have above the average number of arms? Nice. Hold on a second. Do we want to make that the after show? No, I suppose we could. Then I'm going to go get my dad joke book. It's not a dad. No, this isn't a dad joke thing. I mean, it kind of is. It is not. It's a factoid. It's more than a factoid. It's fact. Have above average number of, I I don't even get it. Most people have an above average number of arms. An above average number of arms. Think it through. I didn't. I'll just be honest with you. Like I just kept reading and got the answer. But if you pause, I think most people will not get this right away on why that's a true fact. It's because the most number of arms you can have is two. Well, no, that's not true. And there are some people that have one. So therefore, the average goes down for every person that has one. Therefore, the average is probably 1.99999. Yes. And almost everyone has two. Well, you were right about everything you just said. No surprise, uh, had to show up as a smart guy in the room. But uh, you said the most number of arms you can have is two. That's n- have you been to the circus? <laughs> okay, but most, but but, but I man, my head hurts. Uh, I've been doing some work on the states recently. You know, the state that has the smallest soft drink containers. Oh, uh, this is a dad joke. Uh, it, it is not. It's serious research. <laughs> you can't even say it with a straight face. The state, <laughs> the state that has the, has the smallest soft drink containers. I'm just like trying to go through all 50 states right now. I don't know. Uh, Puerto Rico. It's Minnesota. Steve, do not include that. Please cut that out. <laughs> Why? Minnesota? It is it Minnesota. Sucks. And by the way, what's sucks. the state with the best streets? Oh. Rhode Island.
Dad said to the son, hey, son, what are you drinking? The son says, soy milk. Dad says, hola, milk, soy padre. <laughs> this can't be our after show. Please, God, don't let this be our after show. It's so good. It is so why, good. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? The pee is silent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that one. Hey, hey, is it time for another contest? Is it time for another crack me up contest with stackers? OG. This I mean, this this book has pretty much all of them in there. Well, but but still, so what we'll do, we did this it's been like five years ago now. We did a joke contest. How about this? We'll give you a t-shirt, a copy of the book stacked. Send us your best joke. We'll have Gertrude assign half of them to you, half of them to me, and we will uh we will do it. Actually, you know what? Better yet, let's do this. You decide who you send your joke to. Let's not have anybody do it. So send it to OG to read to me, OG at stackybedjamins.com or send it to me, Joe at stackybedjamins.com to read to OG. When we get five on each side, we will uh, we'll go to war and we'll see who can crack the other side up. All right. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Today, we're throwing the Haven Lifeline out to Chris. Say no, hi, no, Chris. No, I, got, I, got, I got one more. No, we got to one go. more. <laughs> wife to husband. I'm pregnant. Husband to wife. Trying to be funny. Hi, pregnant. I'm dad. Wife. No, you're not. <laughs> Did you hear about the chameleon who couldn't change colors? Did not. He had a reptile dysfunction. Two soldiers are in a tank. One looks at the other and says, These are pretty good. What did Yoda say when he saw himself in 4K? HDMI. What? If people stood shoulder to shoulder around the equator, equator, two thirds of them would drown. My addiction to helium is out of control, but no one takes my cries for help seriously. (laughs) A man tried to sell me a coffin today. I told him that's the last thing I need. (laughs) I like to spend every day as if it's my last. Staying in bed and calling for a nurse to bring me pudding. (laughs) What happens when you throw a green rock into the Red Sea? Water turns blue. Gets wet. This one's a good one. Did you know that diarrhea is hereditary? It runs in your genes. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend O.G., who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses. 
to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.